Father, thank you for this day and thank you for a beautiful day out. Thank you for a beautiful spring. Thank you for this time we can come together and learn and be taught from your word. I pray that we, you would teach us, your Holy Spirit would guide us in our discussions, our thoughts, what we look at, that we may understand you better. We thank you for this opportunity again. In Christ's name, amen. Um, today we're going to be talking about a um, topic called the decree of God. And um, we're also going to be getting our toes wet a little bit with the concept of election. Now, we're not going to be able to go through the whole discussion of election today because that would take a little bit longer than we have. Um, in fact, if we spent the rest of the day today, it would probably be longer than we have. Um, but at least it will get you thinking about it. I want to get you thinking about it and get you um, looking at maybe some passages because we're going to come back and hit this topic Again, it's one of those topics you just can't get away from in Scripture. We're going to talk about the decree of God. And and when we talk about the decree of God, what we're talking about is God's plan, God's eternal plan. In fact, theologians sometimes call the plan of God, you see this in various theological texts if you pick them up, they'll call it the decrees or they'll call it a decree. Um, Either one of them is used. And the idea of the decree of God... It's his grand plan. See, contrary to what Dan talked about last week, and we've been talking about with what we call process theology or open theology, God did not create the universe and sort of say, now let's see how this thing plays out. God did not create the universe as an experiment to see if it works or didn't work. And God is not trying to figure out how to make this thing happen as he goes along. Before anything began, before God created a single thing, God had a plan. God had an eternal decree that he is going to bring about. And if we understand God as being outside the boundaries of space and time, that makes sense, right? If God is outside the boundaries of space and time, God sees everything as a consistent whole, i.e. he is omnitemporal, he sees everything at all times, then we would expect him to have a decree, a plan. We'd expect that whatever he has decided to bring about is going to come about. God's plan is not going to be derailed. Nothing that you or I or any human being can do will ever thwart the plan of God. Nothing will ever make it not happen. God's plan is eternal. And part, part of God's plan includes salvation and includes redemption and includes the cross. We're going to talk about that. This is all part of God's grand scheme, his grand plan. All right? So that's what the decree of God is. It's God's eternal plan. And when did God come up with this? Before the foundation of the world. Before time began. Before time began, God had a plan. And here's the exciting thing, folks. You and I are part of that plan. Now that blows me away. Before time began, God had me and mine. And I'll give you some verses on that. You're not an accident. When was it conceived? It was conceived by God prior to the creation of the universe. Ephesians 1, 4, 3, 11, 2 Timothy 1, 9 is before time began. In fact, 2 Timothy 1, 9 is a very important verse for us to look at. Um, let's look at 2 Timothy 1, 9. Um, I'm going to read it here. 2 Timothy 1.9. I'm going to start in verse 8. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Listen to this. This is very important. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. So what has God done? God has saved us and God has called us to a holy calling, to be holy people. Now listen to this. Not because of our works. Not because of anything we've done. But according to his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. When did God call you with a holy calling? What does that verse say? Before time began. You were in the mind of God. We were all in the mind of God before time began. Now again, um, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. But what you need to do when it comes to this concept of the decree of God, the plan of God, election and all of that, you've got to go with what the scripture says because your mind is not going to put it together. Your mind is going to balk against this. We're not going to like this. In fact, a lot of people really have trouble with this. And my only suggestion to you, um, handouts. Our handouts will be here next week. Dan's computer's on the fritz. It's an IBM compatible, which means it won't work half the time. All right? So, we'll get them next week. We're sorry about that. Don't worry, we'll have them. Um, But when we look at this, there's a part of which our minds just cannot comprehend the fullness of this. But you've got to go with what the scripture says, and we're going to look through that. The nature of the divine plan that was conceived by God prior to the creation of the universe. Before time began, God had a plan. And that plan included the redemption of mankind. It does not have any chronological sequence in its conception. What do we mean by that? Well, it's not that God spent a few billion years before time began figuring out the divine plan, right? Because there's no time before time began. And basically what we need to understand is in the mind of God it was a consistent plan from its very inception. And I don't know how that works out because that's God and I'm not God, I'm me. Alright? But God had a divine plan. And it was a plan freely generated by God. In other words, God did not consult anyone else on this plan. And remember the passages we read in Romans here. Romans 11.34, Isaiah 40.13-14. Who's, who's counseled me? Who, who, who around you, who among you, is someone I need to come and ask advice from? Now, in spite of what uh, some of the guys say on TV, um, God does not need our advice. God does not need our input. God does not need our help to figure out how to fix the events of this world. God does fine all by himself. Um, in fact, if we were to try and give him any advice, it would probably be wrong. In fact, I know it would be wrong. We just mess things up. God does not need our advice. God's plan is an eternal plan, freely chosen by him, freely generated by him. No one told him what to do, and he had full sovereign right to do that. God had full sovereign right to make whatever plan it was that he wanted to make. He is not bound by us. Yes? Um, what, I think the idea that's being brought out here is that before time began, there's no such thing as time. So how can you say that God, and, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit got a big powwow together and spent 
X amount of time figuring this out. It's one of those things that when you look at the plan of God, all it says is that before time began, God had this plan that he made. And if it's before time began, then it can't be that he took a lot of time figuring it out. Okay? It does mean that in time, there's a chronology to it. Right? There's a chronology. Once time begins, the, the plan of God has a chronology. You know, Christ came at the right moment. Remember, it says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. There was a time, and there was a time in our lives when God reached into our lives and the light bulb came on and we understood the gospel. So there's a chronology in its execution, but when you start talking about, well, how did God come up with that, our brains stop. And it was just something that he had before time began. Yeah. Right. Right. We are bound by time. God is not. God is outside that. Okay, so that's what that's trying to say. It's a minor point, but there. Um, the plan of God is, cons- is consistent with his nature, but it's not constrained by that. I'm trying to ex- see how I can explain that. Um, God does everything he does consistent with who he is, right? Because that's the way God is. So whatever God's plan is, this is something you got to. This is one of those hang your hat on this one here. Whatever God's plan is, it's consistent with who He is. And why is that important? That is important because then no one can come back and say, "Well, God, you're not being fair. You're not being just. Um, you're not being righteous. Uh, whatever God's plan is, it's consistent with His nature." Although when God came up with it, he did not bind it by his nature. But it's consistent with what he is. It's consistent with him. God will not do anything. God never does anything inconsistent with who he is. It's always consistent with his nature. So when he determined the redemption of mankind, that had to fit within his boundaries of justice. Whatever it was, it had to fit with justice, righteousness, grace, mercy, love, all of those things had to be consistent in that divine plan, and it is. The end of the divine plan is what? God's glory. This is why did God create the universe? Bored? For his own pleasure. For his own pleasure. For his own, and Romans, and not Romans, but Revelation 4:11 says it's for his own glory. What is the glory of God? It's to display who He is. How does God display His character to creation? Through creation. How does God display his character? And we talk about this a little bit. How does God display his character of love? His attribute of love? Well, through redemption. Through the gift of his son. How does God um, just uh, display his uh, attribute of justice? Well, Christ paid the price for our sin. How does God display his, his attribute of grace? He saved you. Pretty amazing. He saved me. You want to know about God's grace? He saved me. His mercy. How do I know that? He saved me. That's how God displays who he is. And the end of creation, the reason God created the universe to begin with, is for his own glory. Therefore, everything within the universe exists to do one thing. To display who God is. And all of his infinite attributes. And we talked about that. When we get to heaven, how are we going to understand God's love? We're going to look around and see the redeemed. 
How do we understand God's justice? We're going to realize that there are those that are not redeemed. They are, they are lost. Why? Because they refused to believe. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. God is just. It's all inclusive. What does that mean? Uh, God did not leave anything out. God did not make a plan and leave certain things to chance. God did not leave anything to chance. It's going to come about because God has ordained that it will. And if you start mixing on this one here, you're going to wind up in the open theist crowd. Where God's still trying to figure this thing out and where God is really subject to my own decisions and choices. God is not subject to my decisions and choices. And that's something that's really hard to get our heads around. In a sense, human, humanity, human beings, us, we, we have choices. We make choices every day. God does not make us make those choices. But every choice we make works towards God's divine plan. Now go figure that one out. You can't. I can't. I can't figure it out. I can't understand it. It's God's providence. That's because God is eternally omnipotent and above and beyond. He's transcended, as Dan talked about last week. He's transcended. He's beyond our ability to comprehend or think or understand. We can only approximate it in our own mind. So although we make choices and we make decisions, every decision we make is furthering God's eternal divine plan. Although God does not make us make those decisions. I don't understand that. Nobody does. But it's all inclusive. Nobody falls out of this. And it's efficacious. The idea there is God's eternal decree included the plan of redemption. In fact, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, Christ was a lamb slain when? Before the foundation of the world. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the death of Christ, was something planned in the mind and the decree of God before anything existed. That was part of that divine plan. Before time began, God determined that Christ would die exactly the way he did, at the time he did, for the redemption of the mankind. That was all part of God's plan. Christ's death was not a, not a plan B. You know, a lot of times when we plan things, right, we have plan A, plan B, plan C, D, E, F, and G, you know, and all this. We have contingencies. And that's part of our human life, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen. We plan one thing, but, you know, then it rains. So we've got to plan something else. We've got to have a plan A and B. That doesn't exist with God. God has a plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. God does not have a fallback plan in case the first one gets all fouled up. He doesn't have to fall back to something else. When Adam fell in the garden, God did not say, nuts, now what do what I do. That wasn't, I didn't see that one coming. That's what the open theists say. God did not see it coming. God, did, God, God was surprised that Eve and Adam would actually... He said, I didn't think they would do that. What do I do now? Quick, think, think, think. No. It was all part of the plan. God knew. Now, let's understand. God did not make Eve eat that fruit, did he? God did not make Adam eat that fruit. And that's where our minds just stop and we have to just say, okay, this is what God says. I'm going to go with it. I'm not going to figure it out. God did not make Adam and Eve sin. God knew they would. It was all part of God's plan, but he didn't force them to do it. And that's where you've got to leave it. Because if you try to go too much farther than that, you're going to wind up in theological heresy. 
And that's the problem, you know, like Dan was talking about last week with transcendence eminence. You go too far down one branch, you're going to wind up in trouble. Because our finite human minds can't put both of those things together very well. We have to just take what God has said in his word and go with it. And the Bible says very clearly that God does not force men to sin. There's no way. That's inconsistent with who he is, right? It's inconsistent for God to make you sin. God can't do that. But God can take the sin that you do and work it out for his eternal purpose. Romans 8.28 All things work together for good to those who love God. Even the mistakes you make, God, and this is the wonderful thing about it, every mistake I've made in life, God has said, I can make something out of that. I can do something with that. It doesn't excuse me for making a mistake. It doesn't excuse me or let me off the hook for what I've done. But God can overrule that for his eternal glory. Every sin that's ever committed, God can overrule. Yes? No. No. No, his arrival was not an adjustment. And this is where our brain has to stop. Really, it does. Um, it, it's, we, we need to understand that Christ's death, the sacrifice on the cross, 1 Peter 1, in fact, you can look it up, 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20, that was ordained before the world began. That was part of God's plan, part of this eternal plan. And I just got to go with that. I'm, I'm in the same boat you are. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, well, maybe God changed, you know, maybe altered. No. I'm just going with what the scripture says. It says that Christ was ordained before the foundation of the world. That means to mark out, determine beforehand that he would die as a sacrifice on the cross. Before time began, before anything existed, it was part of God's plan. I could just go with that. Yeah. Yeah. So the indicators are always put there that he already knew it was going to go on. And that's why he, I think, when you get up to the time, sometimes what he decides to say is like, you know, why are you wanting to rise or why are we not going right. to so like all those things are being pulled out there to say he already knew it was going to happen. It's a matter of he is doing everything the right way so that we can see his glory and see and get the God does the same to see what our destiny is true. A friend of mine says Christ was never in a hurry, but he was never late. Alright? Always on time. I don't understand that. I really don't. Okay? Um, Christ, you know, Galatians says, In the fullness of time God sent forth his son, made of a woman, born under the law. What does that mean? At the right time in history, Christ came. Not a moment too soon. Not a moment too late. Christ's death on the cross was at the exact time that God had determined in time past. How did that work with the choice of the Pharisees and the choice of the religious leaders and the Roman government and Pontius Pilate? And I, you know, I, I, I start spinning on that one. I start going around in circles. I get dizzy trying to figure that out. I can't figure that out. It doesn't excuse Pilate from what he did. It doesn't excuse the Roman soldiers from putting him on a cross. It doesn't excuse the religious leaders for calling for his blood. But it was all part of God's eternal plan. 
God's plan is going to go on no matter what mankind does. No matter what choice or decision we make, it will work out. Yeah. Yes. with a capital K. And I don't understand that, folks. You know, and this is the problem. You know, one of the things we're fighting here is we go through theology and we're going to hit this with Christ and we're going to hit it with the Holy Spirit and we're going to hit it with salvation. You know, there are some places you come here and you look at this wonderful thing and you scratch your head and say, I don't get it. And God says, well, you know what? You're finite. You're not going to figure it out. Even if I gave you the answer, you wouldn't understand. So I just go with it. I just trust him. But I'll tell you what. Let me, let me tell you it. Personally, when I, when I really got it in my head that God had a plan and a purpose and His plan is not going to be thwarted no matter what happens, that brings me great comfort. That brings me great comfort. I can wake up in the morning knowing that nothing is going to happen that catches God off guard. Nothing to me is going to happen that's going to catch Him by surprise. And not only that, I know that in time past, God knew me personally before time began. And that gives me great comfort to know that He's not going to let me down. He's not going to forget about me. He's not going to tell me, Alan, you know, I, I know I chose you before time began, but quite honestly, you're more bothered than you're worth. You're out. That's not going to happen. I can take comfort in that. And I'll tell you what, folks, that is practical. That, that's where this... Theory gets practical. God has a plan. That does not let me off the hook. I gotta get up in the morning and go to work. I got, why? Because God, that's what God has called me to do. God's plan is gonna work out, but He uses us as means by which that plan is worked out. And here's the great thing. I get rewarded for that. Now that's a big, that's great, isn't it? This is a win-win-win. God not only saved me, He chose me in eternity past, He saved me, He redeemed me, and then He rewards me for doing what He enables me to do. That's sort of cool, isn't it? That's a win all the way around, folks. Yeah, and then Dan. Uh, I was going to say, when you look at David, who is considered most like God and cares about the most, David kind of showed us what's good and bad. I mean, he wrote all the songs, all the songs of prayers and talking to God, where he was left alone, and all the things that we try to experience. You look at David as being the one that God really loved and showed us the most outside of Jesus. Look at what David went through his turmoil for his grace so look at through how his mistakes great things came I mean King Saul and we have there's numerous things that you can look at all the mistakes in the Bible where things were shown and displayed in a nice road map that we couldn't see the end of the was all put on paper yeah Job did not see the end from the beginning he wished he would have right but then we wouldn't have had the book of Job it was necessary for him to go through that to see God's plan and folks you can take comfort in knowing that God is in absolute sovereign control. Nothing's going to happen that catches them off guard. And it's going to work out. It's going to work out. I don't have to worry. It's sort of like, I like watching a... I'll tell you what, I cannot, I cannot stand sports because I get too into it. You don't understand. You would not think that of me, you know, a nice guy like me. 
I get too into it. I really do. I say bad words to my TV. You don't want to be around me when I'm watching, when I'm really into it, really into it. I used to follow the Browns and I'll tell you what, I, oh boy, I'll tell you. You talk about heartbreak, you know. Um, but, uh, I, I would get too much into it and I, and I get to the point where it was, I couldn't do that anymore. I had to give it up. Alright, so I'll tell you what games I do like to watch. I like to watch the games when I know the Browns are going to win. Alright. Because I already know what the score is because I taped it and I found out what the score is. And I'm going to watch the game. Now that's the fun part. Alright. But you know what? God didn't give us that, did he? God says, I'm going to win in the end. Okay, I can take comfort that it's going to happen. And I don't have to sit on the edge of my cheek, chewing my nails, saying, well, the devil's ahead 21 to 3. What are we going to do now? Oh, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Because I know that God is going to win in the end. I take comfort in that. I know the score. He wins. In fact, uh, Van Savin was talking about, uh, he met a person out in the middle of the woods. They're reading their Bible. They're reading the book of Revelation. And uh, some, he's telling a story about some seminary guy who came up and asked this old person on the porch out in the backwoods, you know, I see you reading Revelation. He said, yeah, I'm reading Revelation. Well, I don't suppose you know what it is, you know, because he's been to seminary. He knows all this stuff, you know. And the person said, yeah, I know what it means. He said, well, what does it mean? He said, well, it means God wins. There it is. God wins. Book of Revelation, God wins. Bible, God wins. We don't lose. We take comfort in that. I'm sorry, Dan. Oh, no, sorry. Um, I want to say, I, I for a long time struggled with this idea of, of God's, you know, overall plan. In fact, into, into some of my, I feel like, study helps. This is just not easy. And I, and I started thinking about the fact that I'd always been taught that, well, you know, like, Christ's death on the cross was an adjustment or something like that. But I started thinking back, you know, when was there ever any scripture cited to that? When did somebody ever tell me, oh, by the way, you know, there was this plan God had, and it got all screwed up. And so, then he made up this whole Jesus dying on the cross thing. And I, I mean, nobody ever said it that way. But I started thinking, you know, we, we have this principle that we, we know God as he reveals himself. And when I started thinking about what do I actually know based on Scripture, not just what seems like the nice thing or seems what's right based on my view of justice, but what does the Word of God say? And I'm finding as I go back to that, and when I, when I apply that principle, not just what seems like the nicest thing or what seems... Right, but what exactly does the word of God say? Well, then we 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 cut out a lot of stuff that we think is right, and I, and I think that's that's the thing that I've been on just in the in these last few years, thinking, okay, what does the word of God really say about and, and in anything related to anything in life? If there's if the word of God says something about it, then then I have to put off whatever I might have been told, no matter how good it sounded or no matter how practical it sounded. Um, we put it off. And, it, and, and as I'm seeing, that works out so much more beautifully. You know, it's God has a plan and I don't have to worry about ever screwing it up or ever getting left out of it. So no matter how bad things get, no matter how frustrating things get, I can read the side release and say, this is in his plan. And um, I'm applying that right now. I work at a call center that I don't enjoy. And I get these calls from these ridiculous people who don't understand how to use their cell phone. And uh, this thought struck my mind the other day, you know, I am here for a very specific purpose and down to the detail of every call that comes in. God ordained that it would be me that put that call in. The reason why he has me there is no one. <laughs> and so, um, 
<laughs> so he has he has a plan in that. And I, I so I've been in that in that sense I can worship him. Like when the ridiculous person calls in that wants us to give them a free month of cell phone usage for no reason at all. I can sit and think, you know what? This is God had it in, in his plan. I can worship him right now by doing what is obedient to him and loving this person, no matter how ridiculous they are. And and so I can take some joy then out of it. So then no matter how bad things get, if you know it's in God's plan, then you can take joy in it, knowing that it, it is, you know, efficacious for his purpose. Yeah. Okay, if we believe that God has a plan, he's sovereign over it. How can a person who's been through a hellacious life reconcile that with God's plan? Because God can take the broken pieces and make something good out of them. Look at the look at Mary Magdalene. Now she was a piece of work, right? Demon possessed. <laughs> Bible says she was a prostitute. Demon. Now that's pretty rough back in those days. And yet, what did what was Christ able to do? Yeah. And yeah. And here's the thing, folks. You gotta understand. No matter how bad we've had it. Christ knows what it's like. He's been through it too. All right, and and the, and the way out is not to. And this 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 is I think is the beauty of Scripture. The way out is not to try and go back and analyze why did this happen to me, and, and try to blame things and blame people and that. So look at Christ and say, you know, if I had the most hellacious life on this planet and got to heaven, I'm going to forget about it in five seconds. It's not, I'm not going to even think about it. I mean, I look at World War II. I'm, I'm a history buff, and I've visited the concentration camps, the worst of them, and seen the hellacious things that go on there. Say, how in the world could God have allowed this to happen? I don't know, but it's part of his plan. He allowed evil. And no matter how bad it was there, those people that went through it as believers and came out have the stories of God's sustaining power. It doesn't let the evil people off the hook, right? It doesn't excuse them. You can't say, well, God, I was just doing your will when I was, you know, mistreating this person. Can't go down that path. That's not what the, that's nowhere taught in Scripture. But it does say that God can turn all things out for his own good. And we look at God's grace and goodness and realize that, folks, let's understand something. What do we deserve now? Hell right now. That's what we deserve. That's what we really deserve. Right now, hell. That's what we deserve. And the fact that we're here is grace. And you've got to look at it at that perspective. You've got to change your perspective. Dan. And I would have even added, in adding to that, because, I mean, we're touching on the problem of evilness. How can, how can a good God who's in control of everything allow someone to suffer in such a way? That's a classic question. Yeah. That's the question that comes up in this. And this is um, my favorite response to this. Uh, there, there are a couple things to consider. Sometimes people use that as an argument against God. Mm-hmm. And then I say, well, if God doesn't exist, then you have no contingent relationship to understand what evil is. So you can't say that that's evil. And that's, that's the thing that's brought up. Well, then God must not exist. And I say, well, if God doesn't exist, then there's no such thing as good and evil. So you didn't have such a bad life like that. Now, that's probably not what you would have experienced. Yeah. Um, however, let's say that God exists. He has allowed this evil to happen. And... Um, and by the way, we, we don't, there's nothing in Scripture that says he causes it. He allows it. He has a plan that includes it. Because he knew we were going to send it all this kind of stuff. This is the thing that comes. Everything comes down to the issue of death. 
and every type of suffering is, a, is in some way related to a death. And, and so you could say, you know, sin has caused death, it's caused disease, and it's caused violence and, and oppression and all these kind of things. When you consider the fact that the resurrection is by definition the reversal of death, you have, you have, the, you have this fact that every evil thing that's happened is going to be redeemed. It's, it's, it's in, in essence, being reversed. And so it's, it's the best illustration is as if, it's as if when Adam sinned, there was this rock dropped in the middle of a pond and these ripples were going out, causing all this devastation. Jesus is the second Adam. Who is, he, is, he is the new rock that is dropped in that pond. And the effects, the ripple effects, are making their way through the universe. Now, we have not, just as all of the evil effects of sin have not reached us in full yet, there's still much more horrific things that could happen. In the same way, not all of the effects of Christ's redemption have made their way throughout the it's, it's in a process of redemption. And so when we consider this, when we consider that, all right, every bad thing that happened to me is going to be judged. Either, either in Christ on the cross or that person themselves who did it to me are going to burn in hell forever. Um, and some people don't like that I say that, but, but one way or the other, justice is going to be served. And one way or the other, he is, if I am his child, he is going to make it good for me. Whatever that was, it's going to work out. Not just, not just to be okay, but to be the best thing ever. And so I tell people that the resurrection is the, is the reversal of death, and that's good news. And so then we can say, all right, so when the problem of evil thing comes up, we can say, well, what are you going to do about it? It's, it's, it's better than it would have been <laughs> otherwise. Like he's, he's reversed it. And, um, and so that, that, that's the comfort that I get when I think about my struggles. And when, I, when I'm talking to someone who's been through worse than me, I can say, you know what? He's going to redeem that. He is in the process of redemption. It goes back to our perspective. That's back to our perspective, and, and that's hard for us. That's really hard for someone who's been through hell and back, in the human terms, to see God's love and goodness. But when they grasp hold of that, they're transformed. They're transformed. Yeah. Job's story could be that. I mean, here's a guy that had it all, and within hours, you know, his kids are dead. He's lost all of his wealth. I mean, he's reduced to nothing but a crabby wife that he's got to deal with. And then he's got four loser friends show up and blame God, all right, and blame him for his evil, saying, well, you know, you must have done some sin or something. And from the human perspective, you know, he had, he had a pretty bad time. And he's scratching his head trying to figure this thing out, right? But again, what does he say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's where we got to land. I'm sorry. Well, now I'm on to something else because I forgot the first thing. Oh, okay. So with Joe, what I was reading yesterday is that, you know, when we read that story, we saw God's plan in the story. We saw the plan because we were transported out and saw the heavenly discussion between God and Satan, right? So we had an idea of what was going on. And we're just, you know, when I read that, I said, come on, Job. I mean, you don't understand what's going on. And I realized, well, of course he doesn't. He wasn't told. He didn't figure that out till later on. All right? And that's the same way with us. God has a plan. And, and whatever, like Dan said, you know, I worked in a factory and I hated every day I went in. But you know what? I thank God that I had a job. And God worked something out for me. <laughs> thank goodness, right? I don't know what I would have done. Gone bananas. On the subject of Job, too, it's exciting to think about 
about, you know, we don't see the plan. Just like Job didn't see the overall, even though when we read the stories, we're like, I know Job's bad, Job, hold on, you know. Um, it's interesting how God deals with Job. We never tell him why. Like, Job never hears, like, all right, so Satan was trying to accuse me of just having people like me just because I give them stuff, and so I was proving. God never tells Job that. He just says, he's like, um, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? How about, tell me how how many stars in the sky or these are names, you know, like, and like, he just asked him these rhetorical questions that remind him what an amazing God he is, and he's like, come on, don't you think anything of this one? I think one of the, and one of the things we can do, and I, and I think, here's, here's another comforting thing to understand. God did give us the final score, didn't he? We have Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And in Revelation 21 22, there's the final score of the game. And you know what? It's wonderful. And nothing that we face in life, no trial, no test, no evil, no catastrophe, will Five minutes in heaven, folks, we're going to forget all about it. We're not going to even consider it. Anything. And, and all you can do is when those trials come and the fires come, hang your hat on that. That, you know, in the end, Revelation 21, 22, it all works out. God wins. And I'm part of God's family forever. Guys, uh, we've got to get going here. We've got to do two slides in 40 minutes. God's plan relates to his decisions, not his nature. It's his choice. It's not about what he is. It's about what he does. And this is very important. We already talked about this. It doesn't force men to act a certain way. God does not force men to do things. But it ensures that whatever man does works out for God's eternal purpose. I don't understand that. Just take it for what it says there. And by the way... Uh, in relation to the specifics, is unchangeable. God did not have plan A, B, C, D. God didn't say, well, now, if he does this, I'll do this. Otherwise, I'll do this. Otherwise, I might do that. God knows what's going to happen. Because, again, as Ruth said, being outside the boundaries of space and time, he sees everything as a consistent whole. Um, one thing to understand here is it's not deterministic. What do we mean by that? Well, one of the heresies you can wind up there, and if you... You start thinking about it to say, well, what will be will be whether I do anything or not, so why do anything? Right? That's a common statement. Well, if God's going to do what God's going to do, then it doesn't matter what I do, because whatever I do is going to work with what He... So I just don't have to do anything. No, don't go down that route. The Bible calls us to be holy people. God calls us to be obedient, right? God calls us to do certain things. And here's the wild thing about this, as I find in my own life. The more I'm in tune with what God wants me to do, the more I'm in tune with my responsibility, the cooler it is to see how I fit into the plan. That's a cool thing. That's a cool thing. We had an exchange student come and stay with us. She came an atheist. She didn't believe in God. Came from East Germany. Didn't believe God exists. Taught that, you know, he's a figment of somebody's imagination. That was her mindset when she came. And I, I, we had, I had spiritual conversations with her on many occasions. Like Paul, I said, Ellie, I said, you know, if God has chosen you in eternity past, I'm, I believe in the sovereignty of God. If God has chosen you in eternity past to be one of his children, nothing I do is going to make you a Christian, and nothing I do is going to keep you from that. But I want to be part of the process. And so I would talk to her. I would witness to her. I would answer her questions. I would encourage her. And you know what? On... Good Friday in 2001, she came to know the Lord. I was part of the process. That was a cool thing. Now, I want to tell you something. 
If I didn't exist, she would have still become a believer. But it was really cool to be part of the process, right? It's cool to be there and to see God work. And that's the neat thing about this. I don't have to bite my nails worrying about if God's plan is going to work out or not. It is. But what I can do is I can take joy and fun and fulfillment in being part of the process and being part of his will being worked out. And how do I do that? I'm obedient. I love him. I follow what the scriptures say. How, were you, how did you come to know the Lord? Because somebody witnessed to you, right? Somebody witnessed to you. They were part of the plan. So it's not deterministic. But it makes sure that everything's going to happen and work out the way God wants it to. And we already talked about this. God did not ordain evil. But he uses the evil that men does to still work out his eternal purpose. Now look, folks. I'm sorry, some of these things, you got to, these have got to percolate on you a while. You've got to think about them. You've got to struggle with them for a little while. These are not easy concepts to understand. You've got to go back and think about them. But God is in charge. Yeah. But like when you say, you know, I didn't have to worry because God was in control. But it, that's hard sometimes because you want it your way or that quickly. And, we do. And it would bother you if she never came to Christ, would it not? Yeah, it would. And it should. It should. Why? Because we care for the lost. We should, right? But I don't have to bite my nails worrying that, oh, did I say the right thing? Did I, maybe I didn't do something right. Maybe I should have said this and not this. And, you know, we get, there, there are those folks that get so flustered about, you know, did they mess something up? Did they not do something right? You know, is, is the reason this person not a believer because they didn't present the gospel correctly? Look, folks, you present it the best way you can. Like God, God will take care of the results. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to regenerate anyway. It's not you. you. You realize you can't save anyone. And you can't talk anybody into the kingdom. It ain't going to happen. The Bible says Christ builds his church. Christ does that. That's, that's God's business to do that. My responsibility is to be part of the pro- program. Be part of the process. My responsibility is to share the word of God. It's his responsibility to take the word of God and make it apply in that person's life. That's God's role, not my role. Well, the challenge, therefore, is to live surrender to the Lord every day. That's Sounds like one of our little mantras, right? Live surrender. We're not. We believe that God has equipped us to make the decisions and do what we need to do on a daily basis, but I submit to you, we must live surrendered. It's living surrendered. God's plan will succeed. Here's the great paradox. God's plan is going to succeed. Nothing's going to change it. However, within God's plan, we apparently have choices, don't we? And this choice is not overruled by God, but God uses whatever choice we make to fulfill his eternal purpose. That's, what, that's because he's God and I'm not, and I can't figure that out, and I just got to take it for what it says. And neither of these things can... We're not going to fit them together in your mind. You're not going to fit both of these concepts together. You never will. I've been trying to do it for 35 years and I haven't succeeded yet. And I've known some guys have been working at it a lot longer than I have and they've not figured it out either. You're not going to figure it out. you just got to take it for what it says. What both of these say. And there's scripture to support this. Um, 
Now, I'm going to just get our feet wet on this. Um, this is a big topic, and everybody's been waiting for this, I'm sure. Um, we're going to really hit it more deeply in, in um, the doctrine of salvation. But um, I'm going to lay, lay these things down, and I want you to per, I want you to think about them. All right? I want you, I want these things to percolate in you a little bit, to to think about them. And I'm going to give you some passages. We're going to look at a particular passage. We're going to look up John six. We'll start there today. Um, but uh, this is a very difficult concept for us to understand. But I'm going to lay out the propositions right here. The Bible clearly teaches that God chose those whom he would save. Bottom line, there's no way around that. You look up any one of these verses here, the Bible said, well, 2 Timothy 1.9, remember we just read that. He chose us and called us of the holy calling when? Before time began. When did God choose you to be a believer? Before time began. There's no other way to interpret that verse. I don't know another way to interpret that verse. Now, we're going to talk about the whosoever will stuff here in a minute. Don't worry about that. We'll get there. But from God's perspective, God chose those whom he would redeem. The Bible says that. Ephesians chapter 1. We were predestinated before time began. Romans 9. You can't read Romans 9 and come away. What did he say? I chose Jacob and I didn't choose Esau. I chose Isaac. I did not choose Ishmael. All right, there's no way around that. Okay, um, there are ways that you can that people try to explain around it. They sort of like want to dance around it. They don't like that concept. They want to make us in charge. But the Bible teaches if you read these verses, and, and we're going to get the handouts, and I would really encourage you when you get the handouts next week um, to really look these up for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You look them up. You go to the scripture, and that, by the way, just as an aside, is what you need to do in this class period. Don't just, because I said it doesn't make it right. You go look up the verses on your own. You do your own digging. You do your own research. Don't take my word for it. I believe I'm right, but <laughs> I've been known to be wrong now and then. Donna can tell you about that. Um, the Bible also clearly teaches that men have a choice. I don't understand that one either. How many of you became a Christian because you chose to become one? All of us did, right? Did you want to be a believer? Did you want that? Now, did you realize that you were chosen before time began? Yeah, but there was a day when you wanted to become a believer, right? You did not say, I don't want to be a believer. And God says, you're going to be one anyways. But I don't want to believe. Yeah, you will. It didn't work that way. But I, you know, look at like Paul. I mean, he didn't choose really to be a believer. I mean, he was blinded by the light, brought down to his knees. I mean... There, there are a few of those. There, he was, he was elect, and and remember what happened. As soon as he knew who Christ was, what would happen? He believed, right? He believed. Now, did he want to believe at that point in time? Sure, he did. Everybody does. We all want to believe. Yeah. Who's that? Jonah. 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 Yeah. Right. Now, we got to understand, I want you to understand something right now. This here, these two concepts, you're never going to put together completely in your mind. You're not going to do it. You're not going to, don't even try because it's not going to happen. Because we are finite. We're not going to figure this out. I know this. Before time began, God chose me, Alan Schaefer. He knew me personally. He chose me as to be one of his children. He chose to redeem me. But in time... In time, 
I was drawn to Christ. And there was a day when I wanted my sins forgiven and I wanted Him to save me. And I wanted that. And both of those things go together. Both of those concepts are true. And we have to look, when we look at this, this topic, we have to look at it and many times from two different levels. From God's level, it's one way. From our perspective, it's something else. But both of those are true. They're not inconsistent. I don't know how they fit together. Nobody knows how they fit together. But Romans, or not Romans, but Ephesians. If you just go home and read Ephesians 1, just read it. You will find that Ephesians 1 says that God chose us. Why? For his own purpose and glory. For his own pleasure. In fact, it says for his own pleasure. So if you're really bothered about this topic, when you die and go to heaven and you meet God, and God would say, I'll tell you what, I'll answer any question you want. I'll give you the right answer to anything you ask me. And you would say, why did you choose me? His answer is going to be, because I wanted to. That's the answer, folks. I don't understand it any better than that. I've got to take the verses and make them all fit. Yes? Right. So, is there a flaw in the whole witnessing? No, there's not a flaw. What I'm saying is the the witnessing statement of saying that everyone is searching for something, whether they know it or not, God. Um. What usually what what the Bible says is that man is searching for an emptiness. There's something empty. There's something wrong. That's what man is searching for. Man does not know what that is. What Romans says is that we do not seek God for who God is. We seek God for what he gives. No one seeks God for who God is. We're seeking fulfillment, joy, happiness, peace, something. All men are seeking that. All right. And by the way, let's understand something. God uses that to draw us to him, doesn't he? God uses emptiness. He uses fulfillment. He uses tragedy. As Barry said, he uses tragedy and trials to draw us to him. He does that. That's part of God's sovereign sovereignty. So he does do that. But no man seeks God for who God is. We seek God for what God gives. What's the world looking for? They're looking for peace, happiness, joy, fulfillment. And that was the problem with the, the, the Jews. When Christ showed up, they were looking for a, a leader to throw Roman off. The last thing they wanted is some guy talking about repentance. That's not what they wanted. But yet that's what the path was for the national redemption of Israel is they needed to repent as a nation. They did not. They would not do that. They did not want that. Okay, then on selection, or probably in discussion, right? Can the elect decide not? No. No. Two impossibilities. Two impossibilities. One, that you will be elect and say no. It's not going to happen. You're going to want it's impossible. Because you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't want. No. You wouldn't want to. So if you're in the lab, it's impossible for you to make the decision not to accept Christ. Right. Because because here's the thing. Here's the thing to understand. <laughs> All right. Here's the thing to understand. And and boy, I'll tell you what. We could spend hours talking about this, but I'll give you a passage to go read. I'll give you a passage to go read. Go read Romans chapter eight, verses twenty nine and thirty. And what you find in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, is that there is an unbreakable chain 
that links us in eternity past to eternity future. Yes. Well, you don't have a free will. You have a will in bondage. But God so draws you, and that's the point. Remember God draws? God draws us so that we will make the choice in our own limited will. We will make the choice to believe. I don't understand how that works out. All right. Nobody does. All right. You just got to go with it. And there's a beautiful passage I'm going to get to that will bring this out. Yep. Every elect person is going to want to believe. They're going to want that. Yeah, I think in asking the question, can a non-elect person, it gives the idea that maybe they want to and can't. But, but that's not the issue. The issue is like we are, when we, we saw the passage where it says, um, you know, we're, no man seeks after God. You, know, you just don't want it. And so you would argue that there's free will in that, in that the People choose not to follow God because they get to do what they want to do, you know. But there's a, there's an argument in which he he essentially, when the Holy Spirit draws, he essentially, you may you might say, takes the blinders off, or maybe frees our will further. Which is, and and then so it's it's so clear. Alan has used the illustration when when he and I were discussing it one time. I'm gonna steal it from you real quick. He he wasn't a believer until I worked on him. No. <laughs> it in a way that was more detailed. I mean, I'm just saying, but this is how he said it. I thought it was good. Because, you know, you could say, Dan, you're going to take me out to eat, um, and we can go anywhere. He says, but I'll never chase you. Because seafood doesn't even count as food to me. Okay? But we could go to Hyde Park, which, if you've ever been to Hyde Park, amazing. Oh, roll me out of there. You could be very hungry. You could go to Hyde Park, and you could say, all right, here, you like steak. Now, someone, there might be someone who doesn't have developed the taste for steak, you know. But man, when you give them the chance, they taste it. And that, it's, there's not going to be a choice. It's not going to be like, so, you know, we could go to Hyde Park and have the best steak in Cleveland, or, you know, you eat some dirt. They're going to be like, I'm going to want the steak. They're always going to want the steak. You don't have to worry about someone choosing not to have the steak, unless they have some, you know, views about pita and not feeling animals' food or something like that. But like, or a vegetarian. You don't have to worry about an elect person not, you know, because they're, they're, they're always, they've been freed to want it. And so you want, you don't have to worry about like, well, I'm elect, but man, that whole heaven thing just doesn't seem that appealing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that, you know. It's yeah, kind of, um, it's just a matter of And the other impossibility, yeah. here's the other impossibility. The other impossibility is that you are not elect and you really want to be saved. Is that, is that possible? That's an impossibility. That is impossible. Impossible. It is not possible that you are not elect and you want to be saved, truly want to be saved. You might want goodies. You might want people. Well, look at the rich young ruler. What did he want? He wanted joy, peace, fulfillment, but he wasn't willing to pay the price. Right. Now, let me... Let me explain this because we're running sort of low on time. I really want to get, because this, this helps you here. This will help sort it out. If you look at John chapter 6, this probably, now, now in John chapter 6 we have Christ talking. So this is straight from the Savior's mouth. All right? This is straight from what Christ says. All right? And this is just really helpful. 
Let's look at verse 37. Okay? But I say unto you, or verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. What's that say? All that the Father has given me will come. Who did the Father give to Christ? First Timothy or Second Timothy one nine. He gave us to him in, before time began. That's the elect. So all that the Father has given to me, all the elect are going to do what? Come to me. And whoever comes, I will not cast out. So it's not possible for you to be an elect person. And Christ said, nah, I don't really want you. It's not going to work that way. Okay? That's verse 37. Okay? Let's continue reading. Verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Why did Christ come to this world? To do what he wanted to do? He came to do the will of who? Him who sent me. I came to do the Father's will. And then now if he just stopped there, we'd be scratching our heads writing commentaries on what did he mean by that. But we don't have to do that because Jesus Christ explains in the next verses what the will of God was. He explains exactly what God sent him to do. Verse uh, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me. Ah, okay, so you want to know what God's will is in Christ. This is his will. This will of him sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. So what did God's, what is God the Father's will for Christ? That he would lose no one that the Father gave him, but would raise who? All of them up at the last day. So those that the Father gave to Christ before time again, what is Christ going to do in the last day? Raise them all up. Alright? Now, look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father. Wait a minute, you just said what the will of the Father is. Well, he's explaining it more. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Oh, what does that mean? Two perspectives. You see both of them in this passage. Verse 39, all that the Father gave to me will come to me, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 40, all who see the Son and believe in him, what will I do? Raise him up at the last day. So if you took basic trigonometry, right? If angle A is equal to angle B, and angle C is equal to angle B, then what is angle A equal to? C. What you see here is you see the linkage in Christ's discussion here. There's a group that the Father gave me in eternity past that I will raise at the last day. There's a group who's going to see the Son and believe in Him. I'm going to raise them at the last day. So all that the Father gave to me in time past are going to do what in time? See the Son and believe. Nobody's going to get lost. Everybody's going to, everyone that's elect is going to choose. Now, here's, the, here's our challenge. Do we see the eternity past piece? Clearly. No, we see it in retrospect. But I don't have a book of life. I don't have the names of the elect. I don't know who they are. But what do I know? I know that if I proclaim the message of the gospel and someone believes, what, is, what are they? They're one of the elect. But I don't worry about whether they're in or not. That's God's business. My responsibility is to proclaim the truth. That's all I'm supposed to do. And then, by the way, later on, Christ says, no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. 
So how does the elect in eternity past become one who sees the Son and believes? What's the linkage? The Spirit draws them. Spirit draws them. Folks, I don't know any passage in the Bible that best puts these two concepts together. And yet, even though we look at this, there's a part of us that says, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And that's okay. It's okay to be there. It's okay to be confused. This is a tough, 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 tough doctrine. And the toughness about it is we want to shoot down one path or another. We want to make God deterministic and say, well, if you're in, you're in. If you're not, you're not. So I don't need to witness. I don't need to live a holy life. It doesn't matter what I do because God's going to save who's going to save regardless of my life. That's bad theology. There's another branch of bad theology that says, it's all up to me. If I don't witness correctly, maybe, maybe I pass somebody on the street and I need to give them a gospel tract. And because I didn't give them a gospel tract, they're going to go to hell because I didn't do... And you go nuts trying to figure out, well, you know, maybe it's my fault. It's not your fault. God holds you responsible to witness. God holds me. And God, by the way, is going to judge us for that, isn't he? He holds us accountable to share the truth. And by the way, how is it that the elect come to faith? What does God use? People and, he, and people who do what? What do they say? The Word. The Word. How do we believe? How can they believe on whom they have not heard? How how should they hear without a preacher? It's the word of God that brings, that God uses. And here's here's something to understand, folks. If you are elect, God is going to use the word of God to bring you, to draw you to himself, and you are going to come to him, and you're going to come because you want to. You're not going to get, God's not going to grab you by the hair and drag you into heaven kicking and screaming. It's not going to happen. And there's a there's a there's a, a a paradox here that folks we're not gonna understand. But the only way to make all of the verses fit in the scripture is to understand this and understand the paradox. Now, what about the just in closing here? What about the whosoever will passages? Well, here's a question: Who will come? Is, is that a bona fide offer? Did, is God's offer? Whoever believes in me has eternal life. Is that a valid offer? Yes. Who's going to believe? The elect. There's the whosoever will issue. God's, when Christ came and preached, right? What did he say to people? If any man thirst, let him come. Now, who's going, to, who's going to be the ones that come? The elect. you got to let the... And all I, all I can challenge you here, folks... You've got to let this percolate a little bit up here, okay? And when you get the notes next week, when Dan's computer gets fixed, what we will do, I strongly encourage you, and I would really encourage you, because this is going to come up again and again and again as we study theology. Look at all the verses. Make them all fit, okay? Wherever you land on this, you've got to make all the verses fit. So, we're out of time. I'm sorry for going a few minutes over. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Dan. One last thing. One thing we, wanted, we talked about, knowing God as he reveals himself in his word. Um, and Alan made a good point. You know, we, we, we accept what he says. We recognize that we live in four-dimensional space-time, that's radically limited in, in explaining anything, conceptualizing anything about God you know, that is beyond it. And that's why he's revealed himself in this amount. He said, this is how much I've revealed to you. This is how much you need to know. You need to know this. You need to know this. 
When we accept those two things, uh, they're not, they're not, they don't rule each other out. They seem to be a little complicated. We just have to kind of essentially hold into a holding pattern on that and say, I'm trusting God because this is what He said about Himself. And then we kind of, we kind of move on that. And it's, um, you know, we want to put it all in detail and say, this is how it works out. And we normally, well, we always mess that up. Um, so be careful not to take something that exists in eternity and try to make it fit into, into a logic that is limited for that. And we just kind of have to say, all right, this is what God says about himself. Let's, let's, let's trust it because everything else is right. And so even though this is a little bit complex, we... And by the way, we're going to come back and talk about this in the doctrine of sin, doctrine of salvation, because the whole question then comes in, well, what about the fairness of God? Why is, is God fair for choosing some and not others? We're going to talk about that later. I'm trying to get it, you thinking about this a little bit so that that discussion will go a little bit smoother if you've had time to think about it. So let's close in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this day and for this opportunity to be here, to study, to, to be challenged from your word. And admittedly, there are some mysteries here, Father, that our brains stop because we just can't figure it out. But let's trust you on that. Help us to just go with what you said and go with what you've revealed in your word and to trust you for, for all those um, details that we don't know and don't understand. We just thank you for this day and pray for the service to come in Christ's name. Amen.